0: Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3. I guess if I'd get wiser, I would not to preach as long, right? Isn't that what that says? <clears throat> Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to look at church at Sardis. Church at Sardis. Verse 1, Under the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God, and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful, and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received, and heard, and hold fast, and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I titled the message tonight, "Feigning Life, but Dead." Feigning life, feigning means put on an act. Feigning life, but dead. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your Word. Thank you that we have in your Word everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Father, we pray as look into this, this passage of Scripture tonight, consider this church as an actual church at this time in history. I pray that you would teach us and instruct us, help us to be aware and be warned and be wise concerning evil and concerning the dangers that face us every day in life, that we might walk worthy as some did. And so we pray you have your will and way. You be glorified in your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here is a church who at one time had a witness for Christ, but were in danger of losing that witness. If you notice in verse 3, he says, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent, if therefore thou shalt not watch. I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. You know, the Bible talks about his churches being in his hand, in the Lord's hand, here in Revelation. And he's walking in the midst. And they are considered candlesticks. But this church was in danger of losing its candlestick completely. Uh. I want you to notice several things about it. You know, there were, and, and before I get, uh, and I'll get to this a little later, but there were still some there who were true. They were the few. But first of all, they had a, a pretentious name. In verse 1, it says, Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Hast a name. The phrase there, hast a name, it's names by which God is blasphemed. His majesty assailed, so used that the name is opposed to the reality. In other words, thou art said to live. So, people say that you live, or someone has said that you live, but they really don't. It's opposed to reality, is the definition that the Thayer's Greek concordance gives. You know it's a dangerous thing for parents or preachers to tell children when they got saved. If you have to tell your children when they got saved or that they are saved you ought to be very concerned about the reality of their salvation. And it says it here that thou art said to live. In Romans 8:16 says, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our Spirit that we are the children of God. And if the God Spirit doesn't bear witness, well, what's that leave us? In fact, in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10, he that believeth on the Son of God, hath the witness in himself. And of course, that would be the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is given to us. Today we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The Spirit of God indwells us. He takes up residence in our hearts. And he begins to bear witness that we are, or to testify to us, and give us assurance and confidence that we are his children. You know, there are many identifiers in the book of in the the, the book of first John. You know, there's a love for the brethren, there's the there's conviction of the spirit, there's you know conviction of sin, chapter one. Uh, there's a desire to please the Lord, to keep his commandments, a love of the brethren, and so on. You know, and that's the Spirit of God bearing witness. You know, these had a name, but were dead. Uh, not only they would just have a name, but they were practically dead. It says, "Thou art dead." The word "dead" here means destitute of life, that it recognizes and is devoted to God, because given up to trespasses and sins is inactive as respects to doing right. Yeah, this church, and I, and I think that what this, what we see here in this, in this church, is this church had lowered its standard, watered down to the gospel. To where evidence of salvation was not expected or required for membership. Does that sound familiar? Oh, just come forward and we won't ask you about your salvation testimony. Just come forward and join our church. That's what the vast majority of churches do. You can just put your name on a roll, no examination. You know, this sounds like many today who think they are members of churches but never join, or have joined but rarely attend, and have no desire to be involved. In just, or just, or you know, there's some that just float from place to place because they are in the quote church or the body of Christ, so-called. And when I'm saying that, I'm talking about the universal, invisible church philosophy. And so this is I believe what the Lord's warning us about here that you know this church had had so lowered its standard. You know there was there was a great temptation as we looked at the church of Thyatira and and even at Ephesus uh although they were still standing strong but there was a there was an in uh, an in an in in an in uh um an inroad there of nicolaitism and Pergamos become worldly but Tyre was called the seat of Satan. So so these churches were being infiltrated with false doctrine, false teaching, a pressure to succumb to the society and the the, the sin that they were so surrounded with and be like the world. And that's typical of today. There's pressure to fit in. And to do that, they water down the gospel. water down the gospel. He tells them in verse 2 that they are to be watchful and strengthened. He says be watchful. The word watchful means to give strict attention to, to be cautious, to take heed lest through uh, indolence and some destructive calamity suddenly overtake one or they be led into sin or, or be corrupted by errors. You know, the Bible warns us throughout the New Testament to beware, beware. We even noticed that this morning in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 17. Peter tells us, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also being led away from the air with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. He said you need to beware. Uh he he he, he gives a, a vivid description of the apostasy in chapter two. And so he says that we need to beware. And so the Lord Jesus, in in giving this to the Apostle John, tells them, you need to be watchful. You need to give strict attention to. You need to guard the church. Pastor, you know, the pastor was the star in his hand, and this letter would have been written to the pastor. Pastor, you need to guard the church. You need to guard it. Remember, Jesus told the disciples in the garden, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. An unguarded church is where its members have a name on Sunday and are part and parcel with the world the rest of the week. So on Sunday, they go to church, and they're considered Christians. The rest of the week, they just fit in with the rest of the world. No distinctive identification. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 very clearly, Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we need to be watchful. We need to be watchful. Fourthly, he instructs them to strengthen the things that remain, verse 2, that are ready to die. So they're they're kind of described as dead, and then there's still some things that are ready to die. And that you need to strengthen. The word strengthen means to render constant, to confirm to one's mind. These were things that were being deprived of real life. It was was depriving them of the power of doing right, of confidence in God. So they, they were not... They were not taking God's promises at face value. Our power is not in us. Paul said the power is not in us. It's a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Our assurance and confidence is not in us. It's in the Word of God. As we heard at Sunday school this morning, it was not Moses... Moses said, who am I? Yeah, he's right. He isn't anybody. You know, he, he had a little self-esteem problem there. No, the Lord said, you tell him I am sent you. It's not about Moses. It's about the I am. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the Lord. That's where our assurance is. That's where our power is. That's where our confidence needs to be, in the Lord and his promises. If we begin to rest in our own strength and our own power, we're going to fail. I remember, like it was yesterday, I remember it because it was humiliating. My father-in-law, bless his soul, he can't sing to save his soul. You know, he's one of those that we like to hear, hear sing on a hill far away. <laughs> well, when I started attending his church years ago, of course, it's before I even knew Amy. But, uh, you know, of course, I sing out. We were always taught to sing out, and I can carry a tune. I knew nothing about music. I know a little bit now, enough to be dangerous. But I knew nothing about music then, and he was trying to lead to singing. And he knew nothing about music either. But he couldn't sing either. So he asked me if I would lead to singing. I said, how am I supposed to lead to singing? I don't know how to lead singing. He said, well, just, all you have to do is get up and, and, and uh, announce the page number and just sing. Just follow the piano and the organ. Well, I didn't grow up singing with instruments. And I had trouble with the organ. And we had this lady that persisted playing the organ on Sunday nights. I finally agreed to do it, and I was very uh, uh back then, too. Anyway, easily embarrassed. Uh, but anyway, so I was, it was going along, you know, first couple times, and then it went fine. I had no problems, and I thought, ah, this is easy. And that's what I said in my mind. This is easy. I can handle it. And the very next Sunday night, I made a complete fool of myself. I got out of time. You know, I, you know, and, and I just, I, I went back, humility, sit back down in the, in the pew and, and said to myself after the service, I'm going to tell him I can't do it. And the preacher gets up, he was a guest missionary speaker and he preaches on Jonah the quitter. (laughs) So I never did tell him I was going to quit. You see, if you try it in your own strength, you're going to fall flat in your face. Our strength comes from the Lord and he says to strengthen those things that remain, that are ready to perish. Fifthly, we we see that he describes their works as wanting. But notice in verse 2 again, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Their works were wanting. In other words, they were not perfect. The word perfect here means they, they didn't measure up to God's standard. They didn't measure up. And I believe, again, this is a result of compromising the word of God. Uh, when we compromise the word of God, our purpose and motives come into question. You know What becomes the driving force of our life? You know, what is the driving force of Christianity today? What are the churches promoting to seek growth? You know, what drives you? To be praised? To be spoken well of? To be seen? Career validation? Or is it Or so you can do your own thing. Have your own way. Or is it because it's right? Because it's God's will. You know if it's questionable or contrary to the word of God. Can it be pleasing to God? See we ought not to say it will help us but. It is right. Because if, if you say it will help you and it's not right in the sight of God, it is not going to help you. Even if it appears there's, ben, er, there's financial benefit to it. You see, what's the driving force of contemporary Christianity is seeker-sensitive. They're looking for things that please people. They ask people what they want in a church, and so that's what they give them—the little motivational message that you can get from Joel Steen. See, their works were wanting; they didn't measure up. And and again, this, these had 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 watered down the message of the word of God and, and, and were not standing for the truth. I want you to notice the third thing he says. It's, he says then in verse 3, Remember therefore, um, I didn't say third soon, number six. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. So he counsels them to remember. They'll remember two things. How they received and heard. So that it begs us to ask the question, how do you hear and receive the gospel? You have to be willing to listen and willing to accept. There has to be a willingness. And then you have to receive the truth. Act upon it. Uh, You have to believe it. You not only have to hear it, be willing to listen to it, you have to believe it. That's where faith comes in. We talk about repentance and faith. Repentance is you have to be willing to listen and willing to accept the truth. You know, the truth is you don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. We deserve condemnation before a holy and righteous God but God in his love and his mercy reached down and paid the penalty for our sin that we didn't deserve and offers to us the gift of eternal life. I remember I remember this clearly too. Years ago there was and I can't remember the situation but there was some kind of uh, uh, state interfering with a church and I think it was in Kansas. And my father-in-law and Jack Palmer, who was a pastor in Huntington at the time, and I, and I was actually attending his church at the time, Calvary Dependent Baptist Church in Huntington, when, when it actually happened. They, they had a rally at this church, and those men both went, and some other men in the area went to this rally to support this ministry, and I think it was in Kansas. Anyway, Brother Palmer was telling us about it Sunday morning after he got back, and, and it was a, there was a bunch of sodomites protesting at this rally. And he said, we were standing, I said a bunch of us pastors were standing on a wall, and and they were walking on the sidewalk, and he said their heads were about the height of our feet. And it, so he, they said, he said, they just, they just so irritated me and disgusted me. I wanted to take my foot and kick them, just like that. You know. but he said, the Lord said to me, there's a soul. Christ died. For God loves him, too. You see, we must be willing to listen, to accept, and believe the truth. There must be a surrender of the will, repentance, and believing or trust. Receiving Christ as Lord and Savior, that's how we hear, that's how we receive the gospel you know, and that's great, that's wonderful. And, but you know what? Well, We've got to keep doing it. After we get saved, we're supposed to keep doing it. You see, the way we live victorious is we keep believing. When God tells us or something reveals something to in his word, we accept that we believe it and act on it. Look at 2 Corinthians, or not 2 Corinthians, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Colossians chapter 2, and verse 6. Colossians 2, and verse 6. You know, Christian faith is continuous. You know, John, or Jesus said in John eight thirty one, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. In Colossians 2, verse 6, it says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, here's another beware, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So, you know, he is... uh, you know, as, as we receive him, as we receive Christ Jesus the Lord, we're to so walk in him. We receive him by faith. We're to walk in him by faith. We're to grow by faith. Believing his promises, believing his commandments, which means we obey them. You know, John chapter 14, he tells us, If you love me, he that loveth me, keep my commandments. You know, this is what W.A. Criswell called in his commentary on the book of Revelation. He called it the overflowing abundance of ableness of Almighty God. In fact, he referenced here, and when he's referring to that, in uh, verse 1 it says, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. And that's talking about the fullness of the Godhead. And, and that's what Colossians says. You know, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, there's, there's this overflowing abundance of God's enabling to, that's available to us from Almighty God for us to continue on in our Christian walk. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians and he said, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Look at Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 and verses 3 to 8. Titus 3, verses 3 to 8. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's where we were. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness as we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, These things I wilt thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable Unto men. You see, we're to keep walking in obedience to the Lord and doing those good works. Just as we heard and received Christ by faith as Lord and Savior, we're to continue to hear and obey by faith. Yeah, but we have to choose to believe, it's choices. You know, we have to, as I said, we have to render constant or confirm in our minds that what God has said concerning me is true. Look at First John again. Chapter five. First <clears throat> John chapter five. You see, we have to render or affirm in our minds that these things are true to us. To each of us. Verse John 5. Verse 4. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. This is a victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. And faith is taking God at his word. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Drop down to verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. You see, we have to believe the things that God has written, they are to us. You know, the Catholic Church for years, and still does if they can, keeps the Bible from their people. Because the Bible is written just for the priest. if they want to believe that they can can believe it if they want but they're making God a liar because God says I've written it unto you see God has written his word to us the common person and we need to choose to believe what he says concerning us you see the church at Sardis was not believing that they had turned away from the truth. They were dead. Some of them were dead. So that's what they need to remember. And then finally, notice the reward that he speaks of here in verses 3 through 5. And, there's, and I'm going to divide this. There's two, there's two things here I want to mention. First, there's a reward of the careless or the unbelieving. Verse 3 and the last half of the verse says, If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come on thee. You know, when the Bible speaks about it in Peter, as we looked at this morning, in 2 Peter, he talks about, you know, he'll, he'll come as a thief in the night. When he, when he speaks of coming as a thief, it's referring to those who are ignorant of his coming. They don't know. And they're unprepared. So it's really a reference to. Lost people. Uh, Unprepared people. And then the, the reward is. He is going to judgment. Judge them. If you notice he says. Thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. And in verse five. He says this. He that overcometh which these aren't overcoming, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. So, so those who do not watch, those who are non prepared, those who he comes and they do not know, are going to have their names blotted out of the book of life. You know, to me, this is, a, this is what I call, and this isn't even word, I don't think. This is churchianity. You know, if you're a Bible believer... You believe in Christ as Lord and Savior, we call it Christianity. And Christ makes part of that title. But there are many people that go to churches, they have a form of godliness, but it's without the power thereof. The life giving power of the Spirit of God is not there. They don't have the witness of the Spirit in their everyday life. Their motive and purpose is man and self centered, they're seeker sensitive. You know, they put their finger to the wind to see which way the wind's blowing, which way's popular, and that's what they do. To see what markets. Because they're marketing the gospel. What people want from church. It's not Christianity. It's just churchianity. In fact, they're even ashamed to call them churches anymore. They've taken the name church off their buildings because they don't want to identify marks. They don't want crosses hanging in their churches or pictures of Bibles on the windows. People might be offended if they come in. You know, That tells me they're ashamed of the Bible and ashamed of the cross of Christ that purchased their redemption. It is a religion without the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not their head. And, of course, their reward is going to be divine judgment be cast in the lake of fire. But then we notice, what I want to really see here tonight is the reward of the worthy. If you notice in verses 4 and 5, he says, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which hath not defiled their garments. They shall walk with thee in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The reward of the worthy. They're going to be clothed in white. They're going to walk with me in white. In Revelation chapter 19, it also speaks about this being clothed in white. And it's talking about the righteousness of the saints. Revelation 19 verse 1. Of course, this is a scene in heaven. Just before the saints will return with the Lord Jesus to bring judgment on the earth. And it says in Revelation 19, verse 1, After these things I heard a great voice of much people of heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which had corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants. But the whore, by the way, is churchianity. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah." And the voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, as the voice of the mighty, thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Of course, the marriage supper of the Lamb is what sometime after we get called up. And he's going to clothe us in white raiment. White raiment is significant. In his commentary, W.A. Chriswell said this. The ministry, quote, the ministry is referred to, I don't like this title, but as men of the cloth, of the vestment, men who have dressed like the minister. So when the minister is excommunicated, he is defrocked. For example, the first thing they did to John Huss when they brought him to the stake and the flames began to rise was to tear off his ministerial garb the sign of his being a preacher of Christ. They tore off his ministerial clothing and threw it on the fire and burned it first. They may burn his raiment, but the Lord says, I shall clothe them in white raiment and they shall walk with me. To the Jew, white raiment was a sign of purity and holiness and devotion to God. To the Romans, the white robe was no less meaningful. There were three classes of Romans, the patrician, the knight, and the plebe. Patrician, the patrician, the senator, wore a long garment of pure white, expressive of the dignity, the sublimity of his calling and his office. God says, I will clothe them in white, defrock them, burn up their garments of ministerial attire, and I shall clothe them in the purity and sublimity and dignity of the raiment of Almighty God, for they are worthy. See, God's going to give you and I, who know him as Lord and Savior, white raiment. Because he calls us worthy. Worthy. We've been made worthy by the blood of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Second thing he reward here, he says, I will not have your name blotted out of the book of life. Notice again verse 5. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed with white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. I will not. The Bible seems to indicate that there's a book of life. In fact, look, look, look at a couple of other verses here. Revelation 13, 8. And from these verses we conclude that there is a book of life and everybody that's ever been born has had their name written in it. But when they choose their final opportunity to reject the Savior, their name is blotted Revelation 13.8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And then in Revelation 20, verse 15, it says, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so he says here in, in chapter 3, in verse 5, that those that are worthy, those that have not defiled their garments, he will not blot their name out they are truly born again and so they will not have their name blotted out then I want you to notice the third thing he says the Savior will confess them before our Savior will confess us before the Father notice in verse 5 again he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment and I will not blot out his name of the book of life but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels The word confess here means to acknowledge openly and joyfully to one's honor, to celebrate, to give praise to. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to give praise. He's going to celebrate us before his Father. Matthew 10, 32 and 33 says, "Whosoever Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will also deny before my Father which is in heaven. You ever think what it might be like to hear the Lord Jesus say? that's my sister that's one of mine he's in my family she's in my family I purchased him see he's going to confess us it was a place of honor before the father he's not going to be ashamed he's not ashamed he told the disciples, he's not ashamed. He was not ashamed to call them brethren. You know, we may be a minority in the world tonight. Christians have always been a minority. but We're becoming More of a minority, I fear. At least in America. But we have a glorious future. And we have much to look forward to the fact that the Lord is going to reward us. To hear Him say, they are worthy. may not be ashamed to confess us before the Father. You know, I like what the song says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. You know, we may struggle and have trials here, but it'll be worth it all when we stand before our Lord and Savior and we're clothed and we have our name written and to hear the Savior confess us. Do you ever have a, maybe an older sibling that, you know, you, they did something great and you said, just the one that you, you know, that's my brother. Or that's my sister. That's what the Savior's going to say about us. And it will be worth it all. We just need to be faithful. We need to take God at his word. Beware. be, Be watchful. And strengthen. Constantly affirm in our minds. That what God says is true. And live in light of it. Believing it trusting Him, depending upon Him, that we might one day hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant.